Hello and welcome to Living Hope. This is Pastor Staten, and I want to welcome everybody that is joining us today. A shout out to our E family, all of you that are joining us through the internet. I want to remind you every Sunday morning at 11 o'clock, you can join us live at tv.livinghopemd.com. I pray that today's message blesses you and that you enjoy the word as it is shared today. I'm so lost to be found, and I know it's in my mind. Yes, Lord, we thank you. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Amen, amen. We're going to turn, ask you if you would to turn with me in your Bibles to the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And I think we're going to conclude tonight a little bit of a series that we've done. I guess they call it a mini-series um, on the healthy, uh, healthy church culture. Amen. Again, culture determines what grows. Amen. What is able to grow. And a, a, a negative, toxic culture, negative things grow. Deadly things grow. Amen. And healthy things die in a toxic culture, but in a healthy culture, amen, there is healthy growth that takes place, and we want, we want the church to be that healthy culture, amen, we want the church to be a healthy culture where people come in and they grow, that's what we want, right, and if you want to, you want to grow spiritually, so you want to find a church where there's a good culture where you can grow, and you, you want your families to grow, and your children to grow in their walk with God, and that's what we want for living hope, we want to be known throughout this community that if you want to be entertained, we may not be the right church for you. I think we got a great music team. I think we got the best, but the goal of our music team is not to entertain. It's to create a healthy culture where people can grow. Amen? So if you want to grow spiritually, we want you to know this is, this is a church where you're, you can grow, your family can grow here. Amen? And so we're looking at, uh, we've talked about uh, expectations. We've talked about boundaries. Amen. And tonight I want us to, uh, we're going to turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Amen. And uh, verse number 17. We're going to look at that here in just a moment. Amen. I was trying to remember uh, last week what, what the title was that we talked about. Amen. Communication. And what was it? Orientation. Thank you. And you guys got a better memory than I do. Communication, orientation, our position. Amen. Outward. We want to be a church that is not inwardly focused. That doesn't mean we don't uh, take care of things inwardly, but we take care of things inwardly so that we can reach outwardly. Amen. And communication, how we talk to one another. It's very important how we talk to one another, how we talk to those that come into this building. We want to treat everybody with kindness and with respect. Amen? And so tonight, I'm going to kind of finish it off. I'm not going to teach two tonight. It doesn't rhyme. They don't, it's only one, so it can't rhyme. Um, but I do want to teach. Uh, so let's read the text, and then we'll get into the topic, the title. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. Therefore, if any man be in Christ. He is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ 
And here's the part I want you to, uh, whether you mentally underline it or physically do, I want you to underline this, hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation. Reconciling is making something at one with. Our ministry that God has given, right? First, he reconciled us. Amen. He, God reconciled himself to us through the man Christ Jesus. And then he gave us that ministry of reconciling others, of bringing others into relationship with himself. Amen. And let's continue on in verse 19. To wit or to understand that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God. And I want to bring all of that to a climax in verse 21. For he hath made him to be sin. This is how he reconciled the world unto him. And this is how he reconciled us unto him. And this is how we're going to reconcile through that ministry of reconciliation. Here's how we do it. By understanding that he made him, that, that means God made Jesus Christ to be sin for us who knew no sin. Now, that, that little part there where it says who knew no sin is not talking about us. It's talking about Jesus. The one who knew no sin became sin so that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. He became sin who knew no sin that we might be made the, the righteousness of God in him. Amen. You could be seated. I want to uh, if, if I could summarize that last verse, I would say it this way. His incarnation made possible our transformation. So I had to get a rhyme in there somewhere. His incarnation made possible our transformation. And I want to kind of utilize 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 5, verses 17 through 21, and talk to us. How, say, well, what does that have to do with us? Well, give me a few minutes. And uh, I'll try not to take too long tonight, but I, I want to talk to us how, how this applies to us and a healthy church culture. And I'll title it this way. A healthy church culture is a church where the incarnation of Christ is modeled. Amen. Where the incarnation of Christ is modeled. Um, incarnation simply means the representation in flesh or the embodiment, personification might be another word that we could use. So the, to say that somebody personifies something means that some trait or some quality that they, they, they act that out, that you can see that through the way that they live. They are the personification of kindness. That means they make kindness incarnate. All right, they put flesh on what it means to be kind. All right, and so the incarnation simply means the embodiment of and so when we talk about the incarnation of Jesus Christ, we're speaking of the fact that God took on the robe of flesh and came and dwelt among humanity. How many of you have the revelation that Jesus Christ was God robed in flesh? All right, we're an apostolic one God church. We believe that, right? Amen. So, but I want to take us beyond revelation, and I, I want to talk to us about that, us putting that into practice. Because I believe you can be a oneness of God, one, uh, a one God church who has a revelation of the oneness of God, but really not be modeling the incarnation of what that fully means, right? We, we understand that Jesus Christ was the embodiment. When you saw Jesus, you, you saw the fullness of God. He, he was fully man, 
but he was also fully God, right? Colossians 2 and 9 says, For in him dwelleth the fullness of the God bodily. When you saw Jesus, every attribute of God was in Jesus Christ. He was the creator, right? He was the healer. He was the way maker. He was Jehovah Jireh. He was Jehovah Shalom. He was Jehovah Nisi. All of that was embodied in Jesus. It was incarnate in Jesus Christ. Amen. Listen to how John chapter 1 speaks of this incarnation. John chapter 1, and I'm just going to kind of read uh, through verse 14. I'm going to read 1 through 5, and then we'll move down to verse 10 and pick up there. In the beginning was the Word. All right? How many of you know a word is not, you know, a word, you can feel words, but you can't see words. I guess if you write them down, you know, then you can, but when a word is spoken, you can't see that. But in the beginning was the Word, but... Here's the deal about the word. The word that I speak is still a part of me. It's not something separate from me. And so in the beginning was the word, the logos, that part of God. And that word was with God and the word was God. But then something happened. The Bible says the same. This word was in the beginning with God. So it was God and it was with God. And by that word all things were made. And without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life and the life was the light of man, and the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not, down to verse 10. He, the word that was God, was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. But unto as many as received him, to them gave he the power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. And the word was made flesh. That's, that's incarnate. The word was incarnate. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. That's what Jesus Christ was. He was God in the flesh. He was God incarnate. He was the word, the logos incarnate. Amen? We don't worship multiple gods. We worship one God, and his name is Jesus. Have you had that revelation? Amen. You, you should rejoice that you have that revelation. You should rejoice. Let me try that again, that you have that revelation. That I have the revelation of who Jesus is. He is the incarnate God. We beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Amen. That, that's what Jesus is. He is the incarnate. He is God made flesh. So God looks into the condition of a sinful world. And he didn't just say that I want, to, I want a plan. I want a plan of salvation. I want to give access. He didn't just say I want to give access so that people can enter into my presence and know my power. He didn't just say I want to make a way. But he, was, he, he embodied the way. He became the way. Jesus said I am the way. Okay, God didn't just look down at Jason and Shaq and and Valerie and Josh, and thank you, uh, Kira, for requesting prayer for Josh, because God looked down and saw Josh needed Jesus. Amen. And those that you know, Josh, you know he does need, I'm kidding, I'm giving a hard time. All right, we all need Jesus. But God didn't just look down and see Angelita needs, she needs a way and say, I'm going to make a way. Now you have to find that way. That's not what he did. He, he incarnated the way. He said, no, I'm not just going to tell you there's a way. I'm going to come to you and I'm going to be the way. There's a big difference. There's a big difference between, you know, if you go to somebody and say, hey, you know, uh, there, there's a way that you can get better. There, you know, there, there's a, 
I, I can tell you a way that, you know, if you're having financial trouble, I can tell you a way that, that you can get out of that financial. That's a whole lot different than walking up to somebody and handing them what they need to get out of that financial trouble. And if any of you feel so compelled, see me at the service tonight. That was a joke. You all could smile, lighten up a little bit. Tough crowd tonight. Y'all don't want to help me. I forgot about that one last Wednesday. Y'all don't want to help me preach. <laughs> anyway, if you weren't here two weeks ago, you're like, what's wrong with this guy? He's losing his mind. So the incarnation was God seeing the need of humanity, putting, putting on the robe of flesh and coming and bringing to us a hope of salvation. So the incarnation of God, the incarnation of God in Christ is practiced in three dynamics, all right? Here's what I want you to, to get these three dynamics because these are the dynamics that we need to put, that, that a healthy church has in practice, all right? First of all, it's entering into the world of others, right? That when God took on that robe of flesh, when, when he became in, incarnate, he entered into the world of others. He didn't just stand up there in celestial heaven beside the crystal sea and say, you guys are a mess I sure hope you get better. That's not what he did. He entered into our world. That's what we're celebrating during this season. It's more than just ugly sweater season. We are celebrating that God entered into our world. Amen. He didn't just say there's a better way. He said, I am the better way. Amen. So that's step number one of, of, of the incarnation of Christ is that he, enter, he entered into the world of others. The second is also very important. And that is not losing yourself in the world of others. So he entered into the world, but didn't stop being God. All right, we'll talk a little bit more about that. And, and that's important for us as well. When we enter into the world of others, we can't lose our identity. We, you have to hang on to yourself. All right? And then thirdly, the third practice of incarnation is hanging between two worlds. All right, so the first practice of incarnation is entering into the world of others. The second practice of incarnation is not losing yourself, who you are, your identity, your purpose, your calling, when you do enter the world of others. And then thirdly, finding that place, that balance in between those two worlds. So first of all, let's look at how Jesus was able to accomplish these three dynamics. First of all, we know not just that he was born in Bethlehem, but the 33 years, especially the last three and a half years of Jesus, he was all up in the world of others, right? He was constantly fellowshipping with the outcasts of society, right? He was touching people that society said you can't touch them, right? He was touching lepers, right? You weren't supposed to touch lepers, but what did Jesus do? He got into the world of the leper, he was at the well with a scandalous woman, right? The woman at the well had five husbands and the, and the guy she was with right then she wasn't married to, all right? Which in 2021 might not be that big of a deal, but in Bible times, that was a really big deal, all right? She wasn't going to the well when nobody else was there, you know, just because she ran, you know, was kind of running behind. No, she was purposefully trying to avoid the crowd, all right? The reason she was at the well when she was is, she didn't want to be around other people because she had a reputation. But where did Jesus show up? He showed up in the life of somebody who had a messed up reputation. And he's in the home of the tax collector, right? Jesus was in the world of others. He wasn't just hanging around the Pharisees and the righteous crowd 
pointing at the woman at the well saying, you need to do better. No, he was at the well showing her, hey, I am the water that you're looking for. I know you're thirsty. And he didn't mean it the way we say it today. He's right, I know you're thirsty, but I am the water. Okay, Jesus was in the world. He was in the world of others. But it wasn't just the scandalous that Jesus was in the world of. Amen. It wasn't just the sinful and the shameful that he was in their world. He also was in the, in the, in the lives, very involved in the lives of 12 men, the 12 disciples, right? He was all up in their world, right? He, he, he didn't just disciple them by enrolling them at JCU, right, Jesus Christ University, right? Register here online, and if you register now, you can get a free tuition. No, he wasn't, it wasn't that. There was no online enrollment. He, he taught them, he discipled them, not, not through some online curriculum or some class he put together, but how did Jesus disciple them? He was there with them, right? They, they were with him when he did the miracles. He lived with them for three and a half years. They watched him do miracles. They listened to him pray. How did they learn to pray? Not because Jesus said, you know, if you go and enroll in my learn to pray in 60-minute class. No, he, they learned to pray by listening to Jesus pray. In fact, they, had, they asked him, teach us how to pray. And he said, I'm going to teach you how to pray. And he gave them that prayer model, and then they listened to him pray that prayer. All right? They watched how he interacted with people. That's how they learned. So first and foremost, the incarnation of Jesus Christ was practiced by entering into the world of others. Secondly, though, how did he practice not losing himself? It, it, Jesus didn't lose his identity. He didn't stop being 100% God. He was still, yes, he was fully man, but he was also fully God, right? John 13 and 3 is a portion of text that is shared right before Jesus begins to wash the feet of, his, of the disciples and right around the time that the devil is, uh, takes over Judas, right? In that time frame is where John 13 and 3 speaks, and here's what it says, Jesus knowing, everybody say Jesus knew, Jesus knew who he was. He knew that the Father had given all things into his hand. He knew who he was. He knew the authority that he had. He knew the power that he had, and he knew his purpose. And that he was come from God and went to God. Jesus knew all of that. There's something powerful when, when you come to grips with who you are in Jesus Christ. There's a sense of security that comes when you know what God has called you to do. How many of you know it's very wearying to try to be something God didn't call you to be? Try to do something God did not ask you to do. Maybe you're doing it because I, maybe you got issues when you were growing up and you're trying to find validation through ministry. Ministry is never meant to be validation. Ministry is a calling. If you're not called to do something, you will kill yourself trying to do what God hasn't called you to do. But Jesus knew who he was. Right? John 13 and 3. That little girl's a worshiper. Sunday she was up here. I mean, she had she looked like she'd been at apostolic church all her life, and she just said amen on cue. I don't know if it was really amen, but she said something that sounded like amen. Jesus knew who he was. He knew the authority that he had. Anybody ever met somebody who power trip, you know? They wanted to, they didn't really have as much power as they thought they did. So they wanted to make sure you knew they had, right? They wanted to magnify their power. Jesus didn't have to do that. He knew his power. He never ceased to be God when he took on human flesh. 
Now, Jesus was most definitely in our world. He was with the tax collector. He touched the leper. He broke bread and fed thousands. But just as he was with us and he was among us, there were also many times in the scripture where Jesus said, I'm done. Right? The Bible says it this way, he withdrew. Matthew 14, is one of those instances. This is right after he got done feeding the 5,000. The Bible says straightway or immediately, Jesus constrained his disciples to get into the ship. So his disciples are out there, you know, they're on the 700 club, they're praying for everybody, right? The cameras are on and they're ministering, they're doing their thing. And Jesus said, stop, stop ministering now and go get in the boat. All right, and then he sends the multitudes away. And we would all be like, that's not right. That's not right. That's not what ministry is. But we're going to revert back a little bit to what we talked about in week one, and that's boundaries. Amen. Jesus had some boundaries. He didn't lose himself. All right. He was secure in who he was, and he had some, some boundaries that he drew. And the Bible says after he sent the multitude away, he went up into the mountain alone to pray. And when the evening was come, he was there alone. All right. Now, the pressure would be, hey, Jesus, there's still people here that have needs. Jesus, there's still some blind people in the crowd. There's still some deaf people out there. Jesus, you need to keep doing this until every need is met. But Jesus said, no, I'm not here to meet every, I'm not here to be what you want me to be. I'm here to be what, I know who I am. I know what I'm called to do. And, and when, 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 when the Spirit says time is up, I'm going to the mountain alone. I'm going to withdraw. I'm not here to meet every expectation that you have of me. I'm here to meet the expectations the Father has of me. We can't lose ourselves. Yes, we have to be in the world of others, but we can't lose ourselves in that world. He didn't lose his sense of purpose. While he was in the world of others, he maintained his purpose and his priorities. And then thirdly, finding that balance Literally, in the case of Jesus Christ, hanging between the two worlds. When Jesus came to earth, it wasn't just at Calvary, though. He was always in between those two worlds. First of all, he was fully God. As God, he had all power. He was creator. But at the same time, he was fully human. And as a man, he tasted suffering and death. Literally, he hung between two worlds, heaven and earth. Now, I think we would all agree it would have been much safer and less painful for God just to remain in heaven, for him not to become incarnate. It would have been much safer for him to just remain up there, you know, on the, on the throne by the crystal sea doing his thing up there. It would have been much safer. But by entering, when he made the choice to enter into our world, which the Bible tells us that was his plan from the beginning. The lamb was slain from the foundation of the world. He knew that was his plan. And by doing so, he invited sorrow and pain into his life. He was misunderstood and underappreciated. He died a naked, lonely, gruesome death at Calvary, literally suspended between two worlds. Jesus, why did he do that? Because he knew that the only way I can bring salvation to everybody that's in this room tonight and everybody that's outside of this room tonight, the person that lives in the, in the house down the street, salvation is for them just as much as it is for you and I. I didn't say they're saved the same as you and I, but it's for them. And Jesus knew the only way to get salvation to mankind was I've got to be incarnate. I've got to come, I've got to come and put on flesh and I've got to become, I've got to get into their world. Yes, it's gonna be painful. Yes, it's gonna be messy. Yes, it's gonna hurt. 
Yes, it, there's going to be suffering and sorrow, but the only way that I can bring transformation through a lost and broken world is there's got to be incarnation. So that's how Jesus exemplified those three principles of incarnation. Ministry that models the incarnation of Jesus is dangerous. But not only is it rewarding, it's, it's what we're called to. If any man's gonna follow me, what's he gotta do? Gotta take up the cross. You're gonna have to get between two worlds as well. If you're gonna follow me, it's not gonna be nice and easy. It's not gonna be always be clean. and you're, you're gonna have to subject yourself to suffering and hurt the same as I did if you're gonna follow me. It is possible to embrace the revelation of the incarnation of Christ but not embrace our participation in the incarnation of Christ. All right, we can be a oneness church and have a revelation that it was God robed in the flesh. That's who Jesus, we can have that revelation of the incarnation, but not participation in the incarnation. We can know it, but we're not modeling it. So how do we model it? Well, I think there's three different ways that I'm gonna mention in, in the next 10, 15 minutes, and then I'll, Conclude, and we can go uh, enjoy some time of fellowship. First of all, the ministry of the word must model his incarnation. All right, the minute a healthy church is a church where the word models the incarnation of Christ. What do I mean by that? Well, the first that I would say is that the preaching and the teaching in a church must be marked by that first dynamic of the incarnation. The preach, the word of God's got to get to where people are living. Amen. The word, the word has to get to where people, the preaching has got to be relevant to where people are living. Now, it's possible to get up here and preach and teach a word that is theologically correct. It may be absolutely the truth, but it doesn't model the incarnation of Christ until it gets into their world, amen? I would say this, preaching that is theologically correct but doesn't get to where people is living, I believe it disappoints the purpose of God. His purpose was not just to come and be some deity. His purpose was to come and get to where the tax collector was and get to that well where that woman was and to get to where people are living. So the word has got to be incarnate and we got to get the word relevant to where people are living. I would say that's one of the problems with preaching in pulpits across our nation is that preaching doesn't get to where people are living. It doesn't deal with life struggles. It it's safe preaching. It's sterile preaching. Amen. We, we come to be impressed with the homiletics and the hermeneutics of the preacher and how well he delivers the scripture to us. Well, I, I hope all of that can still happen, but, but that's not what the incarnate word, it, the incarnate word can be messy. It doesn't have to be three points and hermeneutically accurate in order for it to get into the life of somebody and transform them. Amen. But if the, if the church is going to model the incarnation of Christ, the first thing that has to happen is the word has got to get where people are living. Amen. I, I don't think, it, I, I, a couple weeks ago we had a, a guest that came and after service she stopped me and she said, uh, she had a relative, a grandfather that used to, an old, old-fashioned Baptist preacher. I think is how she said it. Uh, I'm, I'm not sure how I felt about being compared to old-fashioned, but anyway, she said, uh, I, I guess it's a shoe fits, you wear it, right? So she said, but it's been a long time 
since I've heard preaching that, that was that effective, preaching that really reached to where people are preaching, I, that's, I, that, that's not a good thing. Every, every pulpit should be filled with the preacher that is reaching to where people are living. Every, every man of God that opens up his Bible, their goal should be not just to preach a pretty sermon that, that wins the applause of people, but I want to preach a message that gets to where you are living, amen, that reaches because that's what God did. He robed himself in flesh to come and dwell among. He who knew no sin became sin that we might become his righteousness. But our preaching and teaching must also be marked by the second dynamic of the incarnation. And that is we can't lose ourselves. We can't, the, the word can't lose its identity when it moves into the world of others. And th this is also a danger of preaching, to become so relevant to where people are living that it's no longer relevant to the author. Right? We, we can relate with everybody out there, but we don't relate with this book any longer. We're so interested in getting to where people are living that we forget that our goal is to bring them back to the word of God. Amen. We, in other words, we can't stop being biblically accurate just so that we can reach to where people are. The word is still the foundation. And I would say how that applies is when the word, when, when the word is no longer, when what is being preached is no longer truth, it doesn't matter how relevant it is. And I believe there's this drive in modern culture for our churches to be so relevant. For the preacher to get up there and preach so much to where people, but it's, it's so far from biblical accuracy. There's no Bible being preached, it's just stories and messages of how you can be a better version of you. Amen, the goal is not to get you to be a better version of you. The goal is to get you to become more like Jesus Christ. And the only way I can get you to be more like Jesus is I've got to preach Christ and him crucified. I've got to preach the message of the gospel. Yes, I want to preach it to be relevant to where you're living. Amen. But I don't want to become irrelevant to where he is living. And then thirdly, that preach the word, the ministry of the word must be marked by that third dynamic. Where it hangs in between two worlds. I believe that preaching and teaching that is incarnate should constantly be moving between those two worlds. Amen. Moving to where people are living and then bringing them to the anchor, or, or rather to the anchor of the truth of the word of God. Amen. Preaching that moves to where people are living. Amen. Gets involved in the messiness of life and relationships and, and, and all of the challenges of life, but then offers to them transformation that can only come in the other world. I want to get to your world and the mess. I don't want to be afraid to get to the tax collector. I don't want to be afraid to reach for the woman at the well, but I don't want to stay there. I want to bring her back to the power of Jesus Christ. Amen. The power of the Holy Ghost. He who knew no sin became sin that we might be called his righteousness. Would it be safer and easier just to preach these cute theological sermons, you know, and doctrinal, you know, the theses that blow the minds of people? Yeah, that would be great but it doesn't change anything. Amen. The, he, he, he took on flesh not to come. If he wanted to wow people, he would have come in a palace. He would, he would have come with a, 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 just a parade of people singing his prayer, but he came lowly in a manger because his goal was not to wow and impress, but his goal was to transform. He who knew no sin became sin. That is the incarnation of Christ. 
So first of all is through the word. Secondly, our relationships with one another should model the incarnation. Our relationships within the church must model those three dynamics of incarnation. First of all, we have to be in the world of others. Right? A church that is so pristine and sanitized where we all just show up and observe our religious practices together. Now that's safe. That's low risk. Right? We all just come and we have our little service time where we come and we do our thing and we don't there's no really no you know there's no mixing and no mingling, no relationships being formed. We're just all coming to do our religious duty and our ceremony and then we go back out the same way that we came in. That's low risk. Anytime you start mingling people, there's, you're going to get a mess. Why is that? Because one plus one equals two. Your mess plus my mess equals mess. Well, I don't have a mess. Yeah, you have a mess. You have a lion mess right now. We all have, everybody say, I've got a mess. Tell your neighbor, you've got a mess. I've got a mess. we got a mess. And when you start bringing all those messes together, it makes a big mess. And it'd be safer for us, you know, just, just, Come do our thing and then, and then go back out there. Let's just have our little religious isolation where we come do our thing and there's no mixing. But we must be in, if for it to be the incarn, for us to model the incarnation of Christ, which is the only thing that brings transformation. We have to be in the world of others. There has to be interaction with one another. Here, I'm gonna read some scriptures that I believe support that. Galatians 6.2, bear ye one another's burdens. And so fulfill the law of Christ. How do I fulfill the law of Christ? By bearing your burden. By helping you carry that weight that you're carrying. 1 Thessalonians 5 and 11. The New Living Translation says it this way. Encourage each other and build each other up. Jude, verse 20. There's no chapters. It's just one book. One chapter. Verse 20, New Living Translation. But you, dear friends, must build each other up in your most holy faith. Pray in the power of the Holy Ghost. Galatians 6.1, if a man be overtaken in the fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also, also be tempted. All four of these verses, and I could go on for another 10 minutes, but there's hot chocolate and apple cider waiting on you. All right, but all four of these verses are impossible to fulfill if we're not in each other's world. I can't bear your burden if I don't know what your burden is. I can't encourage you if I don't know you need encouragement. I can't restore you if I don't know that you're fallen. And the only way those things are possible is when we model that first dynamic of the incarnation of Christ in the church and we get involved in each other's lives. What's that mean? It means you gotta build relationships with one another. The church isn't healthy if we're all just coming and doing our own thing, but we don't, we're not fulfilling any of the scripture because we're not bearing. You need to know somebody's going through something. Amen, you need to constantly be encouraging somebody else. Amen, and if you're doing that, guess what? Somebody else is gonna be encouraging you. Amen. When we're isolated, just doing our own things, it's coming Sunday to worship and Wednesday to Bible study, but there is no overlap in our walk with God. We cannot fulfill the commandments of the word of God. The second dynamic, though, we can't lose ourselves. Yes, we must be in the world of others, but I can't lose myself in that calling. Being in the world 
of one another is not synonymous. Being in the world of one another is not the same as being in the business of one another. All right? And I, I spent some time there week one, so I'm not going to dig too deep. But there's a, here's the difference between being in my world and being in my business. One, if you're in my world, I invited you there. If you're in my business, you got there without my invitation. And they're two different things. And we need to respect that. Again, boundaries. Let it sink in. Y'all don't want to help me preach. Jesus said, Jesus said, I must be about my father's business. His ministry was among people, but his purpose, his business was about the father. It was directed by his heavenly purpose. In other words, when, when he said, time's up, I'm going to a mountain because I need to get away, I'm sure there were still some people out there that wanted to touch Jesus. They had a story they wanted to tell Jesus, a testimony they needed to share with Jesus. And Jesus, I, you know, I want to talk to you for a little bit. And Jesus said, I'm out of here, all right? My time is up because I'm not here for your business. I'm here for his business. And when, he, when, when I'm done fulfilling his business, I'm done. And, and we have to free one another up in the church from those expectations. That we're not here. Amen. My, my job, yes, I, I, I'm here to serve you all as your pastor, but my first calling is his business. And your first calling is his business. Amen. So... How does that happen? Well, you got to know who you are in Christ. It comes with that confidence. I know who I am. Amen. I, I'm not going to, again, I'm not saying we need to be rude. I talked about communication. But at the end of the day, I know who I am. I know what my calling is. And when I come to the edge of that calling, I'm done. I'm not going to try to be, I can't be Jesus. You can't be Jesus. We got to be, there's something that's very dangerous called the Messiah complex. And it's where human beings believe that they can save other human beings. You can't save people. All right, you can bear one another's burdens, you can encourage one another, you can restore people, you can do all those things. What you can't do and never will be able to do is save somebody else. Only Jesus can do that. So you got to get over that urge of thinking that you can be somebody's Jesus. All right, let me hurry up. Um, hanging in between two worlds. Again, finding that balance. How do we get into one another's worlds without getting into each other's business? Right? How, do I, how do I fulfill the call of God without losing myself and becoming everything that everybody else wants me to become? We have to find that balance. Yes, I want, I want to get in there. I want to be effective in ministry, but I don't want to lose myself in, because there is a danger when you start winning, you know, when you start reaching people, that affirmation, oh, you're great, man, we love you. And, and that feels good to our flesh, and it can be a magnet that pulls us out of what God called us to be, and then we start trying to be everything else that everybody else wants us to be, and we got to be careful. There, there is a place in between those two worlds, and our first calling, and if, I don't, if you don't get anything else, our first calling is, I've got to be about my father's business. That's, that's, how you, that's how you find that balance between those two worlds. Evangelism, my final point, evangelism that models incarnation. Evangelism, that models the incarnation of Christ. Again, first dynamic. What's the first dynamic? Have you all not been with me so long? What is it? You have to get into their world. So evangelism that models the incarnation of Christ is not invite card evangelism. All right? I'm not against invite cards. We print them, obviously. But if that's as deep as your evangelism goes, that's not the incarnation. 
What transforms people? In, an invite card has never transformed anybody. All right? It, it, may have, it may have played a part in the process, but I promise you, if somebody came to a church and found Jesus Christ over an invite card, it's because God was already breaking them down. They were already at a place where they, they were praying, God, send me a sign, and somebody just happened to walk by with that sign at the right time. Okay? That's not what incarnation is what brings transformation. And in invite card evangelism is not that, but it's when we get into their world. Amen. It's, if the depth of our evangelism is inviting people to come to our church, that's not incarnation. That's not what Jesus did. He didn't come and invite you into his presence. No, he brought his presence to us. He came down and got to where we are living. Amen. And if we're going to model the incarnation of Christ, uh, we've got to get involved in our world. We've got to get out to where they're living. We've got to get to where they're going. Amen. What they're going through. That doesn't mean pulling up a bar stool next to them. Right, well, I need to relate with them. That's not, that's not what I'm talking about. All right. A healthy church is a church that gets involved in the lives of the world. All right, you, you know the second point, so don't get crazy. All right, I'm not talking about we just let down all of our boundaries. Again, that's why there's more than one point to the incarnation. Because Jesus didn't just come and stop being God and say, man, I really like this being a human thing. I'm just going to, you know, the woman at the well, I'm going to have a drink of water with her. And Zacchaeus, I like this tax thing. I'm going to... I'm going to skim a little off the side with Zacchaeus. Now he kept on being God. All right? Is it easier for us to just stay in our church bubble? Is it less risky if we just play evangelism at the, hey, come to my church someday? Is it easier that way? Absolutely. Is it less messy? Yes. But the only way for there to be transformation, again, is through incarnation. And that means we got to go to where they're living. We got to find Zacchaeus and we got to have lunch with Zacchaeus. We got to find the well where the woman is going to be and we got to show up at the well because we know she's going to be there and we know she needs Jesus. Amen. We got to go to where the leper is at and we got to be willing to touch the leper that nobody else will touch because incarnation is the only thing that brings transformation and we got to go to where they're living. We got to get in there. We're, I, I don't like that, Pastor. Well, aren't you glad somebody got into your world? Amen. Somebody got in your world or you wouldn't be here tonight. Somebody invested in you. Amen. Somebody showed up in your living room and taught you about Somebody did it. If it wasn't you, it was maybe Angelia, it was Grandma, right? Pastor, my dad taught your grandmother a Bible study. And now here, you're here today as a result of the investment that he made into your grandmother's life. And, and I'm glad you're here, Angelie. As much as we give each other a hard time, I'm glad you're here. And you know, and, and Angelie, over the years, you know, we, we, we've gotten into each other's world. We, we fellowship, right? We spent time together. She beat me up a few times when we were younger. Like, why do you have to keep bringing that up? All right, but we have to, the incarnation, getting into their world. Secondly, though, again, we can't lose ourselves in their world. We can't lose ourselves in their world. Again, I'm not talking about pastor. Pastor said we got to go to their world. I'm going to start the green door ministry. All right, that's not what I'm talking about. He didn't lose him. We can't lose our identity. Okay, we can't lose our identity as followers of Jesus Christ. I'm not going to go cuss up a storm just so I can fit in the crowd. All right, I, yeah, I'll go to where they're at, but I'm not going to lose who I am in the process. Is it easier for us to just, now that we're all, Good, cleaned up Christians. Well, I'm a Christian now. 
well, that's good. So we just come to church and wear our suits and ties and we look all pretty and we're all cleaned up and sterile now. So we just come to church and we're on our way to heaven. But we're not transforming our world. And he gave to us the ministry of reconciliation. He gave, he said, look, here's what I did. I took on the robe of, I made myself incarnate so that you could become my righteousness. Now what I need you to do is I need you to become incarnate. I need you to go to where your world is at and I need you to take up this ministry of reconciliation. And is it gonna cost you? Absolutely. But a healthy church climate and a healthy church culture is modeled by, by an incarnate church, a church that models the incarnation of Jesus Christ and then, of course, finally, that third dynamic, even evangelism, is finding that balance. Finding that balance. We're not just going to quit having church. We're not just going to say, well, no more church. Pastor said we need to go reach our world, so adios. It was nice knowing you guys. We're going to go reach our world now. No, we, we still need this. We still need where we come together and we worship and we encourage one another and we pray for one another and we restore one another. But all of this is so that we can go out there and we can take up that ministry of reconciliation and we can reach our world, amen? So I want you to stand with me if you would. One thing I wanna ask us to pray, I mentioned this briefly, and if I were to preach a whole second session, I purposely didn't make notes so I wouldn't be tempted to do it. Everybody say thank you, Pastor. You're welcome. But I briefly mentioned it, and if I were to expound on anything, it would be this one thought. And when we're talking about culture, whether that's an organization, a team, family. There's nothing that will destroy a team or an organization, a church, a culture, like people that aren't willing to play, in their, play the role, ultimately in a church that God's given to them. Right? When everybody wants to, they're not content with the role that God has for them. And how many of you know that in different seasons of our lives, our roles might change? But when... And again, there's a lot of reasons why people can want to play a certain role and not another. Right? It, it, it can be very selfish. Ministry can be a selfish thing. When we do it for the wrong reasons, it be, can be because I need affirmation. I need validation. And if that's why we do ministry, we're, we're, out, of, we're out of bounds. All right? we're, we're not here to get his glory. It's his glory. It belongs to him. Right? But, but when, a, when, a, when a church culture, when people... And here's what I'm asking us to do. I'm just going to ask you to pray with me. I want everybody in this church to pray. God, what, what do you want me to be doing in this church right now? God, what is my role supposed to be in this? And it may not be, he may not tell you what you're wanting to hear. But I believe if you'll honestly pray that prayer, God will speak to you and he'll tell you. And he might even use a bald-headed guy to help you find what that purpose is. I don't know who that might be. Just theoretically, there might be a bald-headed guy involved in this process. All right, and God, but God will speak to us clearly. But here's the, because a church where people know their role and they're comfortable in their role and they find fulfillment in their role and they're happy in their role, that is a healthy environment. When people walk in, they say, this is the kind of church I want to be at. Amen. I, I want to be here because there's something healthy when people know their role. It doesn't matter what, any team, you, I don't care what sport it is, you watch when those players no longer when the role player wants to become the superstar, that team is done. Right? When, when they're not willing to play their role and everybody starts getting their roles out of bounds, that team is done. They're done. They might have all the talent in the world, but they're done. So I want us to raise our hands and we're, we're going to ask that God would help us to be a church that models the incarnation. Amen. A church that is going to where they are. A church that is not losing who we are as we go to where they are. But that church that is in the 
We're, we're in between. We're hanging in between two worlds. We're reaching for the lost, but we're bringing them to the supernatural God that we serve. And Lord, I pray right now. I pray that over the next three weeks as we enter into a new year, I pray that there would be honest, deep prayers that would be prayed. God, help me to know my role. Lord, what can I best be doing to serve this body? What can I do right now? Some of you, God's given you the ministry of giving. He's blessed you financially, and you need to step into that role. Amen. This church cannot do everything it's meant to do until you step into that role and you begin to give like God has laid it on your heart to give. Amen. Hey, if you don't want that gift, that means God's got to bless you financially for you to give. If you don't want it, I'll take it. Amen. Jesus, help us, Lord. Help us to find our place in the body and to fulfill that role with confidence. As it said of Jesus, he knew the authority that he had. He knew who he was. He was was operating in the role that he had been placed in. And I'm asking you, let that be for me, God, and everybody in this body. That, Lord, we want to operate in the authority that you've given to us. Nothing more, nothing less, but what you have called us to do. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Sometimes it is easy to start on your destination without knowing the exact path that it takes to get there. To get to our destination, we need to follow the one who knows our predestined path. Be sure to subscribe and watch us every Sunday at 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Also, visit us at www.livinghopemd.com. I'm going to wait on you, Jesus. I'm going to wait on you, Jesus.